ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Ultimate Catalog Clash, a revolutionary new podcast format where two middle-class white men, middle-aged middle-class white men, talk about music as if their opinions matter. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Kevin Brown, and I'm joined, as always, by the hardest-working man in podcasting, Corey Morissette. How's it going tonight, Corey? Are you looking forward to getting a step closer to the Genesis albums that you know? We're almost there. And you know what? I, I, I did know quite a few tracks uh, on Duke. So I was excited about that, but then we go into Abacab, which I, I think I know like one or two songs again. Like it's yeah. gonna be almost a completely uh, new listen for me again. But uh, this one, and especially this side, you know, th- there was like three songs I knew, so I was very, very excited. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into Abacab because, like I said to you, we've been talking about this offline. It's one of my favorite. Genesis albums. I don't think I'm tipping my hand too much there. Um, and I don't think it's a perfect album. We're going to talk about that at the end of this one. Um, but it also has my least favorite Genesis song. And probably, you know, like the bands that you love always have, well, usually have like one song you think, oh my God, that's the song out of all the artists I really, really love. There's the song on this next album is like, I just wish that didn't exist. More so than Delilah with Queen? Infinitely worse. Wow. Okay. Looking forward yeah. to that one now. <laughs> so if you've never listened to the show before folks here's what we did every season we dive into the catalogue of a different artist to decide which is their strongest album uh, we'll cover each album in sequence with each side of the album getting its own episode on each episode Corey and I will come up with a score out of 25 for that side and when we've done both episodes we'll end up with a total score for the album out of 100 uh, we're ranking the songs on three criteria so a maximum of 10 points each for music and lyrics and 5 points for production so that's mixing arrangement sort of intangibles that kind of stuff and then once we finish the whole catalogue will find out which is definitively the best album in that artist's catalogue it's scientific and our decision will be considered canon from that point on and we've checked with the CEO of music and he's on board with this um, oh, perfect. <laughs> to make it, it's a little bit more interesting too there's a clash between me and Corey to decide who gets to pick the artist for next season but we'll talk about that more in a later episode this season though who are we covering Corey? we are covering Genesis and specifically the Phil Collins uh, era of Genesis just too big of a catalogue and really too eclectic it's almost like two separate careers uh, yeah, the, the Peter Gabriel uh, section, which I don't really know much about at all. Uh, and the Phil Collins era, which I kind of knew from the self-titled album on. Uh, everything before that was all kind of new to me. So this has been a real revelation for me. Uh, pardon the pun from Genesis to Revelations. Uh, going <laughs> through the catalog uh, uh, from uh, A Trick of the Tale all the way up to Duke. Uh, we're actually into the 1980s. This is when I get excited because we're only a few years away from the Genesis albums I know. Well, we should say, too, that, you know, one of your other podcasts that you do, the Van Halen podcast, had two distinct eras with a third era as well. Well, there is a third era of Genesis, so maybe That's we'll true. do the, uh, the the Ray Wilson album as a little bonus sometime if we feel like it. So. And you know, I, I don't, I, aside from Congo, uh, I don't think I've ever listened to that album. And it's, there's a couple of good tracks on there. There's a couple I, of decent be, tracks on there. I'd be interested to check that out. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call one album an era. Uh, so much, <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of like the Gary Sharon era of Van Halen. <laughs> yeah, Genesis 3. It's the same thing. Same fucking thing, man. <laughs> well, I don't know. Pete, Pete didn't come back into an album with Genesis, right? So That's right. Uh, I, I would hope, though, that maybe, uh, what the hell is it, Calling All Stations? Is that what it's called? I, yeah. I would hope that's better than Van Halen 3. I don't know, but I would hope. 
Yeah. You're not no, inspiring it's, confidence. It's better than Von Halen 3. Okay, okay. Then sure, I'll give it a go. Why not? Well, this second side, the side B we're on, like you yes, said, sir. Duke, and we're starting out with a biggie. What's the first song we're going to be listening to, Corey? Oh, the first one is a little ditty known as Turn It On Again, uh, which uh, Fairweather Genesis fans even know. Uh, how many times has it performed live? 594. Uh, if you don't count the drum solo, and we don't, it's the fifth most played uh, song Genesis has ever done in their entire career. So just shy of 600 times live. Uh, th- that tells you something right there. I'm going to take issue with that, Corey. We don't count the drum solo. It's the highlight of most Genesis concerts for most Is people. it a song, though? Is it a song, though? And it, it changes every tour, right? Like, they mix it up a little bit. Of course. Yeah. But no, it, and, you know, Phil and Chester on their drum solos is absolutely fantastic. Well, even so, when we get into, um, I'd actually pulled up a live version that I'll send to you in the chat of uh, Turn It On Again, that we could just watch a little bit of the end of it because Chester put some really cool stuff in there and then the ending for it, because obviously Turn It On Again has a fade out, um, spoiler alert. Um, obviously, the live per- on a live performance, you don't fade out and they end it really, really well. And it's predictable the way they end it, but it's still cool. Okay. Yeah, definitely have to check that out. Uh, but what do you say? Uh, I've been waiting long enough for a, a fucking hit on this show. Here we go. <laughs> Turn it on again. First of all, any song with a count in, uh, I generally love. And, yeah. and, and that's one of my favorite count ins because you, you, you just uh, see Phil in the studio, just away from the mic. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not really the same, even the words. Funny too, though, this song hit, I think, number eight on the UK chart, but only number 58 in the US and 49 in Canada, which is kind of surprising because you would think this is built for radio everywhere right like it's such a catchy song i think maybe had they released this a couple three years later maybe it would have just caught a fire a little bit quicker because they weren't quite they haven't quite got that foothold in uh, north america yet maybe yeah and because now they're 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 kind of taught you know crossing that line a little bit more from prog into pop slash rock and a little more conventional even though the timing uh the the time signature on this is really kind of screwed up it's bizarre Uh, but in a good way because of somehow it all works uh, when I was doing my research and, and Phil Collins was like, you realize, you know, this is in 13 and uh, Rutherford's like, I thought it was four, four, like, you, you know, <laughs> they had no idea. And my, my absolute favorite story was uh, when they did the reunion uh, show with Peter Gabriel, I think that was 86, right? 86. Uh, was it that? No, not that early. It would have been, no God, that was two, that was 2000s, I think. Or nineties, maybe definitely wasn't 82. 82. Sorry. It was 82. 82 with Gabriel? Yeah, they did the six of the best show. Oh, shit, of course. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Peter Gabriel's like, oh, I'm going to play drums uh, on Turn It On Again and got behind the kit and really, he didn't have a fucking clue how to play drums to this song. (laughs) It's a weird character. Well, because it is. It's 13-8, but it's also, it's well, depends how you count it, right? So it could be 13-8 or it could be 6-4 and 7-4. So it's a really odd 
but like you said, it doesn't. You don't. It doesn't sound like it's weird. You don't no. notice it because it's so expertly done. Well, and because the intro is like what four four, pretty and, much yeah, pretty straight. And then yeah. the bridge was like I, I thought I counted five four at one point. It was like it was like straight four four, but there was like a I almost counted five in there. It depends where you start counting from, and that's the trick. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, it hurt my head. I just wanted to listen to it and enjoy it. <laughs> well, it's great too. I mean, it starts out with those great palm music guitars. He's got some guitar in there, right? So it's a it's a good guitar song, uh, but then with the bass pedals. So Mark Rutherford's playing, he's not playing, there's no bass guitar on this song at all. It's all those bass pedals. So like, a, you know, if you, if for the listeners, if you don't know the bass pedals, think about a, a church organ. And so the organ that the the the, the, the chorister will play, um, not chorister, that's a fucking quiet person, isn't it? The organ player, organist, there's the word I'm looking there for, organist. Why don't I know that word? Um, plays with their feet. So this is what uh, Mike's doing. And what I noticed, Corey, I don't know if you did, in the video for this song, Mike's playing it with his left foot. So I'm wondering if Mike Rutherford's a lefty. But he plays righty. Weird, huh? Yeah, but which, well, some players do. My Ringo played drums right and then he was a lefty, so. That's true. And I'm just shocked that someone who plays with their organ as much as you do didn't know the word organist. All right, let's keep (laughs) going. All I need is a TV show. Best Phil Collins vocal performance so far? I'd written down literally exactly the same thing. <laughs> exactly the same thing. And it's just that confidence thing, right? And it's even just, he's he's belting a little bit, but he's also, the way he sings some of the people in my life, it isn't my life. He doesn't drag that out. It's my life. It's very quick. And then the second time around he sings it, then he kind of stretches it a little bit, which is just, again, it's those technical choices on vocals that, you sort of have to learn and get the confidence to do those kinds of things instead of just singing it, you know, like Ozzy Osbourne always got accused of just singing super straight. Phil's putting a bit of, you know, variation and sort of inversion into the into the lyrics now, or into the vocals now. Uh, can we could keep going where it is because I really want to get to the It's Driving Me Mad line. I love that. Yeah. Part. We should stop it there quickly because I want to stop it at 120. <laughs> so we're going to end up listening to almost this whole song here, I think. I know. Which is, which is no bad thing. Not so what about, what about the, what uh, I can show you actually of all the people in my, what was the, which was the line you said you wanted to talk about? It's driving me mad. It's just another way yeah. of passing the day because it, it basically a song about loneliness and or loneliness about laziness. And I can relate. Yeah. All I need is a TV show, that and the radio, like fucking right down on my luck again i was i was parked in front of the boob tube uh, i get so lonely when she's not there it's driving me mad just another way passing the day i just it's a song literally about nothing and and i dig the hell out of it well i think it's i think it's partially so i've always sort of interpreted this as a little bit about being sort of that disconnect between the viewer and the performer where with a screen you get like there's a separation there but you know you get stalkers and people who are rabid fans and think that the people on screen are actually the the character that they're playing or think that they're in love with them so there's a little bit of that in there as well that makes me kind of that's what i puts that in my mind so but again it's almost two it's almost two perspectives because the guy watching the show feels like he's watching friends right i've i've known you for so long i feel like you're a friend but yeah it's it's the disconnect as well so it's almost kind of shifts perspective a little bit there too you do get that with, with good TV, 
less so with movies just because of the length of them, but with a good, really good TV series, you do feel a bit sort of sad when you have to say goodbye to characters at the end of a show. Oh, yeah. eh? Like it's just a bit jarring when you got to say, no more of that anymore. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I've spent so many years with, with, with this crew and, and now they're yeah. gone. It's like, yeah, it's very sad. All right. You wanted to go to 120? Yeah. All right. How much does I, I know you want to talk about Phil, but Tony Banks fucking rules on this song. <laughs> he does, yeah, he does. Um, yeah, I mean, Phil. Again, I'm, I'm going to bang on about Phil Collins all the way through this this season, I think. But when you watch when you watch him play live, or when you watch him play this on the video, it's that I don't know why it is, but that that snare, that da, yeah. it's just the way he, his timing on that is so precise. And it has to be like I know it's, it sounds really easy, but you're a, you're a drummer too, Corey. Mm-hmm. Those little things you've got to get them dead right to get the to get the flow of the song right. And he gets it like he does that about four times or five times, I think four through the song, and every single one of them is just nailed. It's just nailed on. It's phenomenal. So, so you talked about the live performances earlier. Yeah. I I remember an odd performance where Chester maybe doesn't quite hit that. Uh, uh, kind of like Phil did, maybe just like a half second off or something. Yeah, but uh, it, it shows you how important like that that timing is. That Phil just nails it, and Chester maybe just a smidge behind on on some performances. Yeah, and you watch, you know, the, the rest of the band is in complete lockstep with it as well, right? Yeah. You know, the the bass pedal. I mean, playing bass pedals that because that did it. I don't know the hell he plays that on bass, but Tony's like you said. I mean, let's well let's talk about Tony's keyboard sound on this quickly then, Corey. Like we've talked a little bit, and there's a song on this album that I think the keyboards do sound a wee bit dated. But on this one, I think they sound fantastic and they haven't dated. So I think this is still, I think you could probably release this today. Oh, 100%. Uh, Dated keyboards is on my notes all the way through the first few albums that we've done here. Not on this song at all. Even that last refrain, we just heard the dun 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 Yeah. It sounded very big, sounded very ballsy, had some backbone to it and just sounded like something you'd hear uh, on a track today. You, you don't think Genesis for harmony is too much, but that's such a beautiful harmony. Yeah, it really is. And it's that layered thing that Phil Collins would become quite well known for in a lot of his solo albums too, right? Where it is him harmonizing with himself sounds really good. And not everyone does, right? Like, you know, we, we both, you to Van Halen, Van Halen's harmonies are legendary. Queen's harmonies are legendary. There's bands where you need those other voices, but Phil Collins does a very good job of doubling himself. But I was just going to say that the reason I wanted to start it just before the chorus is, again, Phil, when he's playing that, and when you watch it on the video, he's just rocking out, man. He, he can tell he's just loving playing it. And it's that little hat lift, again, just on the turnaround. After you come back off that extra, or that, that you know, that awkward bar that shouldn't be there, the the odd number bar, that little hat lift that he does to come back in onto the, onto the snare, it's, man, it's just so clever. Like, he's so, I think we talked about this on maybe Wind and Wuthering, he's such a musical drummer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean a musician, but I mean, it's, it's drums and musical. They add melody to the song. It's it's, it's a real trick to be able to do that. Yeah, I really regret not watching the uh, Come Rain or Shine documentary before we recorded tonight because um, they chose them rehearsing for that 07 reunion tour, but yeah. they performed Turn It On Again on a, on a TV broadcast and Daryl fucked it up somehow. I think he played it too fast. 
and then oh. threw the whole rhythm off and like the whole band especially tony was just pissed like he ruined the whole fucking thing because the the tempo was just off a little bit and you don't expect a mistake like that from daryl Sturmer, who likes to rehearse you know six seven hours a day whereas everybody else in the band they don't like rehearsing at all well he's played that song well, how many times he said 500 and what 94 he's played that song a lot yeah, a lot. <laughs> but you know what? Even it shows you even the greats have their off nights, right? Yeah, and I, I still didn't think it sounded bad because they play a little snippet of them. Like, oh, it's a little quicker, but there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> so when they're singing, you know, the I think Mike's actually singing some background harmonies on this as well, and then Phil starts all that scatting. You can't really tell exactly what he's saying, mm-hmm. but it's sort of sitting in the background. It's, again, very very cool because really at this point now we're just fade out. Right? We're just singing, turn it on, turn it on again to fade. So to add that little bit of color in, just to sort of change up a little bit, so it makes it sound good, right? Yep. All right, let's check it out. So good. So good. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Brown. If I had to guess your scores, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that they're maybe, uh, maybe a little high. Okay, uh, yeah. So, I mean, music. I've, I've not gone as high as maybe you think of, but I've gone nine, nine, and five. Okay. So, musically, I said one of the things I like about this song too is I always like a song that doesn't start on the root chord because it starts on that suspended chord, which is I always love that when people do that, and it's so tight. Like you said, it's this. We, we think we talked too about. Um, I think it was Follow You, Follow Me, that everyone's serving the song here. And this is a feature of Tony Banks on this album, the next album, where he starts to be a bit more reserved and pull things back a wee bit, just so he's not always driving every song. And this song's a perfect example of it. It's just, a, it's a perfect pop song. It's perfect. Um, lyrics, I said, you know, two really short verses, then lots of repeats, but it's very effective. Um you know, I've, I've written down that it's that disconnect between people on screen and the feeling that you know them. And I get that with podcasts. So I thought I knew you very, very well before I ever talked to you because <laughs> I, because I listened to you so often. Um, you know, and it's sort of turn it on again is maybe more relevant than ever with the sort of saturation of media and popular culture. So, yeah. And then arrangement, you don't get the, the, the chorus until the very end, which is just, again, super clever. So it's an it's a AC, AC, B structure. So verse, bridge, verse, bridge, chorus. Atypical and the mix sounds fantastic. I don't mind a fade out on this one. I think it sounds good. So yeah, nine, nine, and five. How about you, Corey? Ten, ten, and five. No notes. Nice, it's nice. perfect fucking pop song. <laughs> uh, even if I wanted to ding it for something, there's nothing I could. Like yeah. you're sitting saying it's a perfect pop song. I'm like, well, not perfect enough, fucker, because you gave it nine, <laughs> nine, and five. Ten, ten, and five is perfect. Okay, well, I'll get. Okay, so I'll I'll caveat this. I'll qualify whatever my right. I think it's still, it's not the best piece of music they ever wrote. It's not that I don't think it's quite that top table and I don't think it's Mike's strongest lyric. So that's the only reason. Like it's, I think this is a case of where the whole is definitely better than the parts because I'd actually written, because I I don't know about you, but what I do is I write down my scores and then just for myself, I write down what I would rate the song overall. And overall I rate the song a 10. Mm -hmm. Just because, like I said, the the bits that I think could be, where, where there could be more, it doesn't spoil it. It doesn't, you know, doesn't reduce the song for me, so. See, and this is one where the cleverness of it really impressed me, as opposed to thinking yeah. it was pretentious. Like, even the band didn't know what fucking time signature it was in, where Phil's like, <laughs> it's in 13. No, it's in 4-4. And, and Tony Banks, uh, I, I wrote the quote down here, you can't dance or clap along to it because of the time signature. But uh, when we when they play it live, you can always see the audience getting caught out 
but yeah. it doesn't matter because you still like kind of you know feel the groove and bop along even though that yeah. time signature like you said you can't clap to it because you never know where that that uh, that hit's going to come from but yeah i thought it was insanely clever uh, especially like putting the chorus at the end uh even the repetitiveness of it uh, didn't bother me at all at the end harmonies yeah. were amazing no notes 10 10 and 5 absolutely love this track the best one we've covered so far by far in my opinion awesome all right so after that we're bound for a letdown now this is uh, a mike rutherford track this is called alone tonight there's nothing here i can understand and no one cares i'm Touch your face and I don't know why I call your name but you're going by Now I'm alone again I think it sounds, and this is really literally only just occurred to me as I'm listening to this now, and it's mainly on Phil's vocal phrasing. It almost sounds a bit like a Billy Joel ballad. Okay. I can see you know what you mean. mean. Just, yeah. just the, if you think, just listen to the phrasing on that first part. If you listen to it again, it's like, yeah, he's kind of just the way his voice, the rhythm of his voice, and then and uh, where he chooses to kind of pitch up or down. That's it's got a bit of it's got, a, got a bit of BJ in there. A little bit, you know. I, I can see him, you know, at a piano as opposed to having the guitar there, uh, yeah. you know, playing a refrain like that. I think his lyrics would be a little more clever uh, than, than than what we're getting here. This is very kind of depressing. Uh, well, it's. Yeah, it's man, it's Rutherford when he gets into these modes, you're like, oh, dude, just fucking snap out of it already. But it's a really nice, like, and it, and it, funnily enough, you know, we talked about, I think, and then there were three where Mike was starting to get away from trying to copy Steve Hackett. Mm-hmm. This is a very Steve Hackett guitar part. Like, it sounds, this could, you, this, you could drop that instrumentally, you could drop that into Wind and Mother, and you could probably drop it into Trick of the Tail because it's got a similar sort of feel to old Genesis. But I, I put, uh, it sounds like it could have came from Wind and Withering, uh, kind of that, you know, <laughs> because that, that was, that was to me, was kind of the Steve Hackett album, because I haven't listened to any of the Peter Gabriel garbage. So you said on the last song, where Turn It On, Turn It On Again for about a minute and 15 or a minute and 30 seconds doesn't get repetitive. It just, it doesn't feel like it's repetitive. This one, Alone Again, Alone Again Tonight, Alone Again, Alone it, That does seem to drag just a little bit, I think, yeah. in, that, in that chorus, right? Yep. No, I, I agree with you totally on that one. And and lyrically, uh, it's not doing much for me. Man, the band was really depressed uh, at this point uh, <laughs> in the writing sessions. We have another downer coming up uh, from Phil, uh, just a couple tracks away. But, um, you know, I, I thought it was a decent enough Mike ballad. There's really nothing yeah. standout-ish uh, to this to me. I, I thought the uh, Phil is singing it very, very well. Um, I, yeah. I love the, the kick in with the drums. The mix is great. Uh, I have another timestamp, uh, the highlight Phil's drums coming up at the three minute and two second mark, but uh, the drum sound sounds great. The bass sounds great. The guitars sound great. Lyrically, kind of a step down for me, but it's still a decent enough Mike ballad. 
I like this review. I mean, play from here because there's a bit the way that Phil sings and this, and this what this next line is. I've always liked this with the say there, Jules say. I like that bit. So just okay. play that bit in. Yeah, that's I just like that step down. It's a, that's a really satisfying little sequence and it's very short and it's one of those little sort of you know four bars in the middle of the song like yeah that's that's cool i like that yeah and this is one they could have broke out uh in any tour uh you know middle of the set type thing never played live though never done live which i can kind of see um there's better songs of this milieu exactly than, yeah and, and from the last two albums there's better songs yeah. right so it's like well follow you follow me we're gonna we're gonna replace this with it i don't think so yeah we're gonna take the hit out of the set for this one yeah I don't think so. Uh, did you have anything before 302? No, you can go to that one. Okay. Oh, actually, no, sorry. 147, there's a really, really cool little bass line that Mark plays. 147, is that one? Yeah, 147. Something around there. And mixed perfectly. Like, yeah, yeah beautiful. The, the, this is one of my favorite uh, song mixes on the entire album. Like, uh, you don't want that bass overpowering but you want that accent in there on the highs, right? And it, it worked yeah. so well. Yeah. Great call. I, I just like that, uh, the, the drum part uh, on the uh, transition there. Cause then we go Sorry. back into the chorus and it gets very, very repetitive, but. But, but it's, I think it's also one of those songs that, you know, when we talked about Snowbound, we were like, oh, God. So I was like, just, I just wanted that fucking song to end. Mm-hmm. This one, I think, is it, it's picked up a little bit by Phil's vocal because he really does a very good job of the vocal on this track. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Alone Tonight, um, well, you know, I, I, I dug it well enough. Musically, I gave it an eight. I thought the band sounded fantastic oh, wow. okay. uh, on this track. Uh, lyrics, a little generous. I gave it a seven. There's nothing spectacular uh, in these lyrics here at all. And uh, for a song structure and production, I gave it a 4.5. Um, Production-wise, I couldn't really pick anything out. Like I said, I think it's maybe the best mixed song on the entire album. Uh, and, you know, 358, good length uh, for, uh, for a little ballad like this. Where it sits uh, on the album, a little weird. You, you kind of come off the massive high of Turn It On Again. Uh, yeah. to this really depressing oh god i'm alone uh torch song almost <laughs> and it's like i don't know there there, there might have been a better uh song combination there but uh eight seven and four and a half for me kevin what did you think six five and three and a half for this one because and that's and i'll qualify this too that's not a bad score that's still above average yep but i think that's all it is it's just slightly above average it's, a, it's an album track it's fine um and where i kind of docked it with the production was i don't think the, the mix is good i totally agree on that but i think the song itself is a bit stodgy it doesn't really get anywhere particularly right there's nothing in there that's there's not a big release there's no big bridge where we do get that with a couple of the other songs we're going to talk about so i just had to lose it a little bit there and yeah the, the lyrics are they're very despondent without really being specific and maybe again, that's of that theme of isolation and longing. It's a nice, gentle song. Musically, uh, musically, the dynamics are, you know, it's all in the change from that quiet passage with no drums into the other the passage with the drums. But it's still, like I said, there's no, there's no key change. There's no tempo change. There's no yeah. introduction of a second, another instrument or anything, right? So just that's what I expect from Genesis and a song like this, even, right? It's just like a little bit of something. 
I think I was just in a good mood uh, when I was grading this side <laughs> of the album because, yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. I just tended to like it a little bit more. That's awesome. Uh, all right, so that takes us now to a Tony Banks song, which is always a always a great, great time for everyone involved. This is <laughs> Cul-de-Sac. Wake up now. This is the time you So I think anybody who's listening who doesn't really know Genesis very well, had you not said that this is a Tony Banks song, I think they would have guessed. Because <laughs> it's pretty fucking obvious he wrote this oh, song yes. right from the top. Oh. Uh, especially lyrically, wake up now, this is the time you've waited for. Like j- Just the way he phrases things just sounds yeah. just so so pompous. It, it, you, you just want to karate <laughs> chop him to the throat. But this one, actually, I didn't I didn't mind so much. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's telling a little tale. Got some cool sounding lines, an army thousand strong, obsessed by right and wrong. Yeah. Since their time is coming near. Uh, you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't Clam Caravan, uh, where the lyrics don't make it a ton of sense. The, yeah. the, a little more focused, I thought, on this one. So I actually kind of dug the lyrics. Okay. And that, uh, that I love that chorus, right? Like lyrically, yeah. that's very cool, and it's very epic sounding uh, for a song named after a dead end street. Yeah, but the other thing I like about that too is exactly what I just sort of said about um, the last song. Now we've got something that there, this is, you know, quite again, it's ballady, but we've got a time signature change here, mm-hmm. and the song just moves on to the next part, and it's very clearly the next part. So yeah, I love the, uh, this section is great. I love this section. There's another section that's even better coming up, but I, I wanted to play a little bit more because. Uh, yeah, uh, there's something in the pronunciation of cul-de-sac that I wanted to ask you about. Cul-de-sac? Is that how it's pronounced in jolly old England? Okay, so what you got to know, Corey, is that in England, you can't say, is it pronounced this way in England? Because it depends where. <laughs> okay. We've got, a, we've got a million different accents. Where I grew up, absolutely not. Cul-de-sac. Okay. Uh, also, we didn't call it from? cul-de-sac, we called it a fucking dead end. <laughs> well, cul-de-sac, we, we use uh, in Saskatchewan here quite a bit. Where did Phil come from? Is it pronounced cul-de-sac? I've never heard that before. thought oh, it sounded I, stupid. I don't think he's, I don't think that's a product. He's from, like, well, he's from London. I don't know exactly where. I mean, he's from, oh, he's from Chiswick. So, yeah, so a fairly middle-class-ish kind of part of London. So I, I don't think cul-de-sac, I think that's a pretension, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> Tony told me to pronounce it that way. Make sure you pronounce it cool to say. <laughs> Come on, the, where's the Tony voice? Where's the Tony voice? <laughs> you know, I'm not drinking tonight. I, I, I can't oh, pronounce no. the Tony voice, no. <laughs> I'm just having uh, blueberry smoothies all night. So, uh, But Maybe. I thought, you know, Phil is singing great on this, and his hi-hat work on this is, is fucking phenomenal, I thought. I've done that at 128. I wouldn't break into but Phil's hat lifts. And then it's, I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's something that... To be honest with you, I mean, I've always been a, you know, I mean, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Phil Collins. He's one of my top 10, maybe top five favorite drummers um, and doesn't nearly get enough love. But I don't know that I'd ever really sort of tuned into how good he is on the hats. 
you know, when we think about high hats, I always think about Stuart Copeland the police, who is the master. Like, he is the best hat player. I mean, that guy could just play hats and I'd fucking listen to him play one cymbal for an hour. Um, but Phil's brilliant, too. Like, his, his feel around the cymbals in general and on his hat is just phenomenal. You get such a great sound on those lifts. I have no idea how he does it. Was that 128, the, the hat lifts? Yeah. But... Okay. I know. I, I want to check those out now that we've been talking okay. about it. That's fantastic. It's it's so clean. And I, a part of it is, I, I don't know, it, it, it's, well, it's definitely the symbols he's using, right? Because different symbols will give you different tone. But it's it's all foot control. It's all being able to control the speed at which you open and close. And it's not a big it's not a big thunk when it closes again. It's man, yeah. It just it's that bit of technique, right? Do these guys who are this good have all the technique in the world and they can they can play that where I don't have the technique, so I can't. No, I, I'm more the uh, the heavy metal like Tommy Lee drummer where he doesn't even put his foot on the hats. He just has it, <laughs> you know, like half open so he can bash away at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have no idea how the how Phil gets that sound with that kind of feel. It's absolutely amazing. to appreciate the hats uh, on that section especially yeah everybody mike's killing it on the yes. bass yep. tony's got it's got this weird caribbean feel to it that was just, you know for the listeners i was <laughs> doing the hula dance for Corey. like it's got that real sort of tropical sun and margaritas and you know it's, you don't expect that in this song at all by the way kevin's hula dance very disturbing how you ever landed a wife <laughs> i'll never know it's the accent believe it i got you i got you <laughs> Musically, this builds so well. It's such a great yeah. middle of the side type cut. Yeah, absolutely. When we came into that, the other thing I was thinking there was the guitar, and that's what I thought you were going to be stopping us for because finally we get some some lead guitar. Yeah, from Mr. Rutherford. It sounds really, really good. Sounds really good. Yeah, guy can play guitar. So before the big outro there, uh, my only note was really, it kind of stumbled there for me a little bit. Okay. You know, just, uh, you know, how musically, uh, you know, melodically it kind of went down and it was kind of jumpy a little bit there. Uh, everything was kind of building, building so nice. And then just that last little section for me seemed a little disjointed. Yeah. And it's got that, it's got a very distinct dissonance to it where he, got, he starts playing, he's not playing pentatonics. He's not playing scales that your, your brain's used to hearing. So it sounds jarring, right? And it's also got that weird sort of, Kaliupi kind of carnival thing, that almost like that organ, that distorted organ. So it, it's an odd, it's an odd choice to end the end the song for sure. But I do like that little piano that he brings in right at the end. So it's oh, me too. Cool. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, that whole that little ending part, like kind of when they got it back, and they, yeah. they do kind of the, the the concert ending a little bit there. Uh, I thought that I dug that quite a bit. 
Which great too, because it's definitely a grand piano. That's not oh, yeah. it's not an upright, it's not an electronic, that's a real grand piano in a big room, mic'd up right at the end, and you know, with one under the hood. It's just, that, that's a, a distinctive sound. Love it. Sounds very good. All right, cul de sac. Uh, never performed live yet again. That's two in a row now from this record. Um, I really liked it a lot. I know I give Tony a lot of shit. Uh, on this record uh, to me th this is a really good tony song uh musically i gave it eight and a half i, I thought the band was cooking uh i really only docked it points musically uh, from that little section in the end and i kind of docked it uh, a little bit off production uh, on that as well just because of the song structure of it uh, lyrically i gave it an eight um i really like the whole refrain of you know you're on the way it was just a matter of time you thought you rule the world, rule the world forever long live the king don't spare the loser now I thought that, that was a great, great chorus. Uh, usually I'm giving Tony lyrics like four or five. Uh, here I'm giving him a, a solid eight. And uh, production-wise, I gave it a four and a half. Again, I thought it was mixed great. Sounds cool. fantastic. This is my favorite sounding Genesis album so far. So I was eight and a half, eight and four and a half. How about you? Well, I was lower again. So seven and a half in music. I like the scope of this one. I think there's lots of expensive chords and it moves to places you're not expecting especially from the intro which is very low key you think oh here we go it's gonna be one of those songs is it um you know lots of different synth sounds that he's bringing in but again i don't think i'd even really sound dated very little guitar but when it does come through it sounds good mm -hmm. um phil plays some great stuff on the kit as he always does lyrics yeah i mean i, I do like the lyrics but i think they're a wee bit incoherent which I, don't know, I know that I'm being completely schizophrenic on this because usually I say, oh, I don't care about that. But it depends on the music with it. Like when you're being, when the music's really subdued, then I think the lyrics do need to take a little bit more of the weight on. Anyway, so yeah, seven and a half for music, six and a half for lyrics, um, and four for production. Because like you said, I mean, it's a, it's a, well, this, this album sounds good, right? Um, and I think the transitions in this one are very good. I don't mind that last one just because it is a bit different. But, but again, that comes from my love of prog and whatnot. So, um, I thought you were going to tell me though that you yeah, you could have stood for this one to end in about four minutes. I thought this no. would. Have, I thought for sure that this was going to be one of the ones you said eh, could have been shorter. My my last point was if you're going to have it, you know, five minutes long, make it interesting to justify the length. Yeah. And I thought he did. I really thought he did. Usually it's me saying the lyrics make no sense on a Tony song. <laughs> this one kind of made sense to me though. I don't know what yeah. it is. I think it's kind of cool that I got this one a little more than you did. Whereas previous songs, I was like, what the fuck's Tony singing about? Like, oh, he's singing blah 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 blah. Yeah. It is a good chorus, though. Like you said, I mean, now you're on the way. Now you, you know you're on the way out. It's just a matter of time. They are. That's a good chorus, but I think maybe maybe it's just the verses then that I'm a bit less. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's just there's something there that doesn't doesn't quite hit me the way that some of the other ones do. So yeah, maybe it's the cool de sac. Cool de sac, which isn't a fucking thing. Get a grip, Phil. <laughs> All right, let, let's go to the uh, cast off from uh, face value. Uh, this is basically a Phil solo song, <laughs> never performed live by Phil or by Genesis. It's called Please Don't Ask. How can I just let you walk away? <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't, and that's what I, one of the comments that I've written down is, it definitely does not sound like a Tony Banks piano part because that's not yep. the way he writes yep very you know, much a phil piano part 100 yeah, it's, a, it's yeah. a rhythmic piano part it's, it's very phil collins yeah absolutely yep. uh my main comment on this one was typical phil divorce ballad and lord knows he has enough of them yeah i mean i do think though this one and i don't know what you've done maybe we'll get to this at the end but i mean i think he gets the lyrics i don't think it does a lot wrong with the lyrics of this one because they're so raw and so savage, savage man. Like you could, this is a guy. Right. 
<laughs> there's no there's no disguising what he's talking about here. He, this guy's a mess. And it's like, oh. holy shit, dude, you need a you need a beer or a friend or fucking a blowjob or something. They just <laughs> you know. Well, let, let's keep going here so you, so you can hear the, the, the first two lines to, to understand what Kevin's talking about here. Please don't ask me how I feel. I feel fine. I will cry a bit. I don't sleep too good, but I'm fine. Well, you're not fine, dude. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> go smoke a joint and get some therapy. Holy shit. Yeah, that divorce <laughs> fucked him up. And when you get to the chorus, yes, you're a mother to the world, but oh, but I miss my boy. I hope he's good. Oh, as my gold. God. Oh, God. That rips your fucking heart. You just that line. It's like, oh, that's just dirty pool. Don't do that. I know. Again and again, I ask myself, was I wrong? I do like, and you know, we talk, we talk about Tony Watts on this podcast on this season. And again, he's sitting back here. He's just sitting in the background and just adding texture to, because, you know, Phil's playing the piano part. Or the, it's Phil's piano part, let's say that. I don't know if he actually played it on this album because he's not credited, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did. But there's some really good little hula hula bits underneath. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'm not quite sure if that's Mike or Tony, because I've got the same comment later on where it's like, well, that's definitely Mike. This one sounds like a synth, but it doesn't sound like it's played on a synth. So it's a weird, I'm not too sure, because because it's never been played live. I've got no reference material to go back and see if I can see, oh yeah, okay, that's how he's playing it, right? So It's funny you pointed that out. I was kind of the same way. Like, I think that's Mike, but I don't know. I'm not sure yet, I, and I, I was leaning from this one was leaning a bit more to Tony, but I'm not. I'm definitely not sure because the other song that we'll get to is because the string bends in it. You can hear the bends, and this one, mm-hmm. you, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's hard to tell. It's an enigma. All right, uh, one twenty-two is my next time. It's the chorus. All right. Again, I mean, that's the line that precedes, you know, I miss my boys. Oh, I can remember when it was easy to say I love you, but things have changed since then. Now I really can't say if I still do. Wow. <laughs> that's a that's a strong line, man. I mean, and again, I think that's, you know, I, I write songs, but I've never forget anywhere near been able to write something that personal, you know, because that's very difficult to put yourself out so plainly on the line. And even even to bring that into your friends in the band, can you imagine Mike and Tony was like, fuck, dude, we gotta, we gotta get a, we gotta get this guy a beer and we gotta just make sure he doesn't fucking kill himself before the end of this album because <laughs> this guy's not doing well. No, and then verse three gets worse because he, he sees her. He's like, oh, you look good. You lost some weight. Your hair looks nice. Oh. Maybe we should try. And like, no, you know what? No, Phil. Just walk away, Phil. Walk, walk away. away. Holy crap. <laughs> Thank you. 
wanted to ask you, Corey, good as gold, is that an expression that, because I've been here so long, I don't know whether expressions are English or Canadian, I don't fucking know anything anymore. Um, but good as gold, is a, it, it's always struck me as a very British expression. Do you use that here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously you know what it means, but okay, okay. Now i got to look two, up the meaning of that. But there's two senses of it, really. There's two sort of ways it's used mainly in England. One is good as gold means well-behaved, mm-hmm. right? So that's what he's, he's talking about here. But good as gold can also mean, like, so like in the in the, in the gangster world, say, it means he's, he's sound, we can trust him. Oh, yeah, mate, he's, he's good as gold. Don't worry about Downey, he's good as gold. It means he's safe, he's one of the, you know what I mean? So he's got mm-hmm. that sense as well. That's funny. I always thought it was a North American phrase, but yeah, I think it originated uh, in jolly old England. Hey, Interesting. The whole, the whole fucking language did. <laughs> Bloody North Americans. I've said it before and I'll say it again. We need to impose a language tax. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, but then we're putting on a tax because you uh, gave us fucking soccer, and that's maybe the dumbest dumbest thing ever imported from England. <laughs> All right, what are your thoughts on uh, Please Don't Ask, and what did you rate it? Okay, I mean, it's a, again, it's there's nothing wrong with this song. It's a, it's just a, a fairly average album song. It's 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 part of the second side. I gave it musically a five. Like you said, I mean, you can definitely hear this on face value. It would fit on face value actually, really, uh, with the tenor of that album. And it, like I said, it sounds more like Phil playing the. I'd love to know if it was Phil who recorded the piano for this. I'd be surprised. You know, I, I think it is. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go so far as to say I think this might be Phil Collins playing it. Okay. Lyrically, like I said, this is just. Jesus, man, it's, it, it's it's a tough listen. But I think that's a good thing sometimes. If you can write something that's that emotionally powerful. So I gave it a 7.5. I thought, it's, I thought it's a good lyric. It's much better than the music. Production-wise, it's very simple. It doesn't even have a bridge. You know, it's first chorus. But the organization is quite good, the piano, and then you get the synths coming in. But there's not much guitar coming through. And I think this is one of those songs where I could have stood to have a little bit more Mike Rutherford, adding a bit of um, a bit of dynamic with the guitar. So yeah, so uh, five for music, 7.5 for lyrics and three for production on this one. All right. Well, uh, I gave it a seven for music. Um, unremarkable, but but good. Like there wasn't anything I could pinpoint as not liking. Yeah. Uh, what I did get of Mike, I enjoyed. Uh, what I got of the synths, I enjoyed. Uh, you know, musically, I thought it was, it was good and I thought Phil sung it very, very well. Yeah. Uh, lyrically, uh, I think more out of pity than anything, I gave it a seven because I'd feel bad if I gave it any lower for poor Phil. Oh my <laughs> God, he, he, he's going through some shit. Let me just put it that way. So seven, seven, and then production, I gave it a four. Uh, maybe, you know, could have used a little more Mike Rutherford, a little more Tony Banks in there. Um, piano was unremarkable. Uh, to me, um, like I said, I, I think I kind of craving a little Phil Collins against all odds, maybe at this point in our journey through the Genesis discography that I, I rated a little more favorably than you do. Cause it reminds me of against all odds and yeah, uh, you know, uh, pretty much a one more night, uh, you name a Phil Collins piano ballad. Uh, it's just one of those unremarkable, yeah. but still uh, better than most. So I gave it seven, seven and four. Excellent. All right. So that's going to take us to one of the longer tracks now on Duke. This is Duke's travels. Yeah, this part goes on for a really long time, so uh, let's let just cut it in there. And it's 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 kind of like Duchess, right? Because Duchess has a very similar long build 
intro, and this is all sort of seen in mood sense. I mean, this is always sort of Duke's travels. This is him leaving the house at maybe like 5.30 in the morning, and there's still that sort of early morning mist. And you can see sort of it's, it's the, the the pastoral English scene, and you can see up the hill and he's walking off into the forest with a sort of like tote bag over his, his shoulder or something. That's so it's set. It's just setting the scene for what comes. And I mean, this song moves around like a fucking a cat, an epileptic cat, right? Like it's insane. What are the directions this thing takes? So this this extended intro again, I like prog, so I kind of like it. I didn't mind it either. I just thought you know maybe you could trim a little bit out. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I kind of got, you know, the Frodo Baggins uh, with Samwise yeah. Gamgee and their little packs and they're heading out uh, of the Shire. So, yeah, I, I kind of like your analogy there. Uh, my next one, uh, the band really doesn't uh, kick in with drums until a minute 36. Uh, you well, got anything before that? Yeah, it was a minute 30, but I just, just the last thing on this, one of my only, and again, I'm going to tip mine a little bit, but one of my only criticisms of this one is that's where that synth lead in that first little intro bit does sound a wee bit dated. Yeah. It's one of the only times I'm like, oh man, I wish he'd pick something else there. Or even if he'd have Mike playing guitar or something, I think would have been just a wee bit better. But it's a, it's a nitpicky, small, niggly little thing. So, all right. So I took it all the way back to a minute 30. off it's that crossfade which i fucking love mm-hmm. like that so it sounds like you, you can you hear the drums you're like is that are they put and then it slowly because the volume comes up and the fader comes up it's like oh wait a minute this is cool where's this going now and it's this big tribal thing now, have you ever heard do you remember it was the orange album that he released i can't remember the name of the, the album phil collins the solo album and there was a song on that called river so wide have you ever heard that song yep uh orange album was uh dancing to the light yes there's a song in there called River So Wide, and he totally stole this fucking drum lick for that song. I'm built, I'm built on it, but he totally stole this. I mean, it's 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 not identical, but it's really goddamn close. He's playing the fuck out of the, that kit right now. Oh, my God. And it sounds like folks, honestly, just, you know, because me and Corey listen to this. Well, Corey's got a guy slamming his head. I'm listening over Zoom. But when you listen to this on the headphones, those drums sound immense. It's incredible. Yeah. It's a big tribal booming, like, oh, man. I'm fully too messing to listen to it. All right, so the hobbits have got to the mines of Moria now. Uh, the the tempo's changed as they make their way through the mines. Maybe Duke is one of the hobbits then. We, oh, the, we, we can we can define canon here because you know it was never exactly clarified who Duke was, what he was doing. Got myself just saying like um, Nigel Tuffin from Spinal Tap, the the intro to Astonish. Nobody knew what they where were. they were, were or what they were doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean it's again like man, Genesis does this right. Like we've had some. It's not filler. I just thought like, they're album tracks and there's some ballads and everything, but. You remember when you listen to Duke's Travels, it's like, yeah, these guys can fucking play, man. And this is one of the this is one of the songs that they worked out in the room together as three people. And I kind of wish this is where I go back to, and we'll talk about this at the end, Corey. When we talk about the suite, the Duke suite, 
I kind of wish they'd done the whole album that way because I think all of the solo tracks are weaker than everything they recorded together, more or less. I mean, there's some some good songs, but I don't think any of it's as strong as the suite. So I think if they built on that theme, I think they could have just made this an absolute fucking stonker of a concept album. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll cross that bridge when we get there, my friend. Uh, what's your next uh, timestamp here? 255, because we when we talked about this earlier, uh, um, I can't remember which song it was now, but Phil's cymbal work on this, when they break into this swing beat, is just sexy as fuck. God, they sound good. This is by far the best his drums have sounded yeah. so far. Like, my Lord. And it's, it's one of those things, too, because that's really, you can play that just as a straight swing beat. Dead easy. I mean, and if you sit and just play and, and sit in the pocket on the drums, it would sound fine. But he had so much in there. Like, again, like, you know, people talk about Travis Barker or Neil Peart or, you know, the, the guys who were quick. Phil, Phil Collins doesn't get into that conversation. This guy, his hands fucking move, man. Right. And he plays side stick too. So to get that much power and control, it's just amazing. And I think the reason it works so well is because Tony's that lead that Tony's playing is so high. So he's got a lot of trouble going on. So when Mike, it gives Mike that sonic space to come back up a little bit out of the super low re register on the bass and play something that's really melodic that stands out because of it. Mm -hmm. Again, those are those things that these these guys were, you know, this is all very intentional. You know, they're talking about those things as they're working these things. So I'll leave a bit of space here for you to do this. Can you maybe play that riff that you were playing before, but play it? lower down or higher up or something when they're working these songs up and it takes you know days and days and days to and hours and hours to work these things up but that attention to detail and that ability to hear all well, this dynamical work here it's just it's that thing of like you know the sex pistols or kiss or you know these guys they just don't have anything near that level of musicianship in them right so and i shouldn't be slamming other bands because you know uh, i just heard a podcast today a uh, podcast i was listening to today uh, some idiot on there was blasting the sex pistols <laughs> I gotta who agree with be, you. Who would that be, Corey? <laughs> you know, I, I'm on your side on that one, though. I'm not a big Sex Pistols fan myself. Well, it's funny because also for the people listening, I do another podcast with a friend of mine called uh, Seaside Pod Review, which is a Queen podcast. And the song that we covered was Sheer Heart Attack, which is sort of proto pre punk. Um, but my comment to Randy was that I was listening to Queen when the Sex, you know, oh, I suppose when the Sex Pistols came out, it was 77, so I would have been four years old, but. In my formative years, I was listening to Queen and I was listening to Free and I was listening to Deep Purple and Zeppelin and, and bands that were sort of constructing this type of shit, like interesting stuff that's very, very musical. So these three chord hillbillies with their fucking screamy, shouty, can't play a bass bullshit. I'm like, I don't fucking want to listen to that. And I'm just, <laughs> that's, that's never left me. Like, I understand the energy and the, the attitude of it, but learn to play. You know, yeah. Soundgarden had attitude. They could, Nirvana had attitude. They, you know, they could play their instruments, learn how to play. What did uh, Freddie Mercury call Johnny Rotten, Johnny Ferocious or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mr. Ferocious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that stop is bananas because coming back in off that, Again, that's stuff that is like elite level musicianship. Oh, yeah. it sounds it sounds like it should be easy, but it fucking isn't, man. Because the timing of it's wonky as well. It's well, so, bad. so glorious. 
see, and I'm not a musician, so that's what I was thinking. Like you go from that kind of big, uh, you know, up tempo kind of swing beat, stop, and then back into a whole other thing. Like, holy yeah. God. And, and don't forget, I mean, okay, so these guys, they could have been playing to, they could have been playing to a metronome, but it's massively unlikely because of all the time signature changes. So this is natural rhythm and natural meter. And of course, that's largely down to a brilliant rhythm section with Mike and Phil, and then Tony be able to play on top of that. But there's no click track here. This is before Pro Tools. It's before you're really going to get that. So it's just, that's how good they were. That's how good Phil Collins was as a timekeeper. Okay. Uh, one thing I put was the uh, ISO uh, ISO drum track on this would be insane. Like if you could just isolate just yeah. the drums on the entire eight minute track, that'd be fucking phenomenal. Nice fast fills in there. I mean, that's that's basically heavy metal drumming. I don't give a shit what anyone says. It's not the same tone, but the speed of it, and he, using the snare as the one and the kick coming in on the in between, it's like, dear God, break <laughs> your fucking shins. I, I love that section. It was just so frantic, and just how the song builds from the intro we had yeah. into these different changes. Like it's just constructed so incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, guess what? In just eight seconds. We get lyrics. <laughs> Let's check it out. Did you notice the that manic the synth that Tony's putting underneath. So you got Phil crushing it on drums. Like this isn't like I said, it's the building this song is off the chart. Because mm-hmm. this is fast as fuck and yeah. still super technical because it's not just like straight ahead thrashing. There's a hell of a lot going on in there. And I do love the way that Phil sings that I am the one who guided you because it's all one note. So again, you sort of, you've got this movement in the music that's, and, and he's cutting through that with this one sort of, single note that goes through it. So again, just a very good decision, a very clever sort of musical decision to do that, I think. So we only got one verse here. What was your interpretation of the lyrics? Because uh, I, I, especially where we are in Duke's travels. Okay, so they're, they're sort of abstract lyrics. I don't know exactly what they're about, but again, if you look at it, you know, I'm the one who guided you this far, all I know, all you feel, nobody must know my name. It could be another sort of mental health reference. It could be the the inner voice it could be the muse. It could be another voice. It could be sort of a multiple personality thing. I don't know, but I like that it's it's ambiguous in that way, right? Where you could sort of layer different meanings on that because good good music does that. And you know, I do a, a Tom Petty podcast, and Petty was a genius at that, where he wrote songs that were actually specific to him, but in such a way that you could interpret them any way you want. So I don't I don't know. I, I do like them. I think they fit really well. You know, I think it went all the way back to uh, that uh, fucking mouse song from Wind and Withering, uh, where, <laughs> where the cat is now the one who guided the mouse this far. You Nobody must know my name, and you kill what you fear. It's totally the cat and the mouse thing again. I have no clue. I, I really didn't know. My I was wondering, do we need this verse? Like, what does this right. contribute? I think musically, this tells the story. You, you don't need this part here. It kind of muddies the waters a little bit. Think of it like this, though. If you think about and see if this changes your mind, it might not. But you think of it the way that Phil sings it. If you just think about the music and the melody, the way he sings it, and ignore the words, do you think it's still is it inconsequential, or do you think the melody of the way he sings it would add to it? 
I don't know. It, it kind of depends on because we're we're breaking up the song here. If you're listening to it all in one, okay, you know, you know, maybe I, I can maybe kind of see it. Um, okay. the, the lyrics I just kind of threw me off. I think the musical journey I'm going on here, a la Climb Caravan, does the job, and you don't need to be talking about. Uh, you're on your own until the end. There was a choice, but now it's gone. Okay. Uh, to, to me, just kind of muddy the waters. I do like uh, uh, melodically how he's singing it. Musically, tying into this section, I think is great. So yeah, if, if he was just singing la, 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 along with that same melody, I think it would work better. I wonder if it's, you know, and I love that last line though, take what's yours and be damned. That's, you know, you wouldn't understand take what that, what's yours and be, that's a fucking great line. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I think that if the concept of Duke and whatever the concept was initially had been realized fully, this might make more sense. Yeah. Right. There might be this, this might've been a coda to that story where an important section of it was missed that we don't know about. And so then it makes it a little less, a little less coherent. So yep. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yep, no, that, that, that's a very good point. So I don't know if I wrote it in the right time because there's a chord there that literally only Tony Banks in the entire world would have put in. Because it's not major, it's not minor, it's not the fifth, it's not the fourth. It's this weird fucking, it's probably like A minor, sus four, added 11, diminished second, augmented sixth. Or It's like, how many hands have you got, dude? Like, why are you, why are you playing? Why are you just doing this on the keyboard at that point? You're playing all the notes. But it's so <laughs> weird. And it, it, I don't know. It, that, it, it's cool. And then 728 that we just okay. jump forward to. Because there's a synth sound here that I know that you know the We Can't Dance album, I think, reasonably well, right? Yeah. There's a synth sound here that throws forward to what I actually think is Tony Banks's magnum opus. And it's the same fucking synth sound. And I'd be surprised if it isn't exactly the same synth sound. Okay. So I'm going to leave that in your brain and see if you can see if you just you don't have to you can tell me offline or something, but just see if you can figure out what song. Because to me, as soon as I mean this song actually, there's quite a few little licks in here that he doesn't play them verbatim, but he definitely sort of leans into them and sort of calls back to them a little bit, and I think gives a nod back to this song specifically on a song from We Can't Dance with just with and you know. Is it fading just, lights? It is fading lights. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. the one it reminded me of. I mean, when yeah. you said Tony's magnum opus, when I think magnum opus, uh, I'm thinking either driving the last spike, but I don't think that was a Tony song or fading lights. Yeah, driving the last spike was the first uh, long song, quote unquote, that they gave Phil to write the lyrics to. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was because the, they, they, they always just, they say, "Well, I know Phil's good at writing the pop songs, but we don't give him the serious stuff." You know. So, so. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was Yeah, that was my what the fuck comment. Yeah. <laughs> it's super weird, eh? It is cuz you're building and building and building and then it's in with the symbols and then stop and then what it sounds like a harpist chord. I don't know what the fuck that was with a It's just right it's just like Marvin Mellotron or something but you know what it's funny because 
I've not, I didn't notice it until I listened to it through again. You've got kids. You must have seen Shrek a million times. Oh, yeah. That bit reminds me of the tone of, you know, that I need some sleep. Time to put the old dog down. It's that kind of... It's that same cadence to it. It's the same basic sound. So I don't know. It, it is a very odd thing, but... And it's where, when you listen to it online, it kind of takes you out of it a little bit because this leads straight into Duke's end. Mm-hmm. And the last the last of those notes goes straight into it. But when you listen to it online, you get that weird break, which just kind of fucking ruins it a little bit. But yeah, I wish, I wish they'd figure that out where... Like for songs and stuff like this, where they're, it's an album and they're sequenced, I wish you could have like a no interrupt flow of, of, of the, the way it's played. I think it would be... I mean, it's got to be fucking doable. Yeah, I, you would think. You would think. All right, so uh, Duke's Travels. Let, let's wrap this one up because we're getting right into Duke's end here right away. Uh, musically, I gave it a nine. God, I, I couldn't find too much fault uh, with this yeah. one at all, except for that last little ending bit. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a six just because it took me out of the song a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, Phil sang it great, but lyrically, I don't know if it did much for me. And uh, four and a half uh, for production slash song structure because it's incredibly well constructed. Like, yeah. just, just, and like, you don't need the lyrical section. Musically, I think this is telling the story of Duke's travels. Like, uh, you know, you're sitting here, your own imagination, you're coming up with a better story than what they can tell me anyway. Right. So just, just let it do that. If it was an eight minute instrumental, I would have been very happy with it. Which, Makes my heart sore, Corey, <laughs> because I think I think this is like okay. Now you get what prog is. That's that's <laughs> the whole thing with prog is like you don't. It doesn't need. It's not a pop song. It's a fucking prog rock song. And I like I totally. That's a, it's a great comment. And I think that, like I said, the lyrics. I just wonder if they're sort of a remnant or a, a relic of sort of this bigger concept. I don't mind them. I, I quite like them. Um, are they necessary? Maybe not. Um, but I mean, musically, dear God. It's just a tour de force. Like this is Genesis in sixth gear on the highway. Everyone's got their foot down. They're having fun. It's interesting, and it all is just all the transitions work. So musically, I went. I went ten. I apart from that lead synth early on, which I just like. I said, I can't. I can't dock it to to a nine for that. And even a nine and a half, I think, is a bit churlish. Tony plays his fucking testicles off on this track. Like this is again. It's a Tony Banks. Like look what I can do. Um, Bill's. I mean, every, all of them, right? Um, and again, other than that, simply, I, I love it. So I'd be tempted to get this an 11 if I could, because wow. it's just exactly what I want from Prog Genesis. The lyrics, yeah, I, I like I said, I understand what you're saying. I like the line, you wouldn't understand, take what shows and be damned. I like that final line. Uh, and you kill what you fear and you fear what you don't understand. It's one of those lines that I think it sounds profound, even though it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but I still kind of like it anyway. So it's like, I don't know, that kind of sounds cool. I don't know why, but it sounds cool. Um, yeah, the production, I mean, it's just it's just a proper prog epic. It sounds huge. Um, Mike's guitar, when it comes in, is lovely. I would just love to have heard that solo just a wee bit higher. And we didn't, I don't think we talked that much about it. It's all, you know, I was going to dock it a quarter point, but it still, it still makes it a five. So, yeah, I mean, it's a weird one because I've gone, you know, 10 music, seven lyrics, and five production. But again, it's a 10 overall for me because where I've docked, well, the only thing I've docked it lyrically is I think actually they could have maybe either, like you said, have no lyrics in it or they could have fleshed that out a little bit. Because mm-hmm. this could have been a 12 minute song. I'd have been all right with that. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you got enough space in there. You could add another verse yeah. or something and try to tie it together. I really like your theory, though, that that could be a remnant of when it was yeah. part of the suite. I think that was really, really profound, my friend. All right, let's play a little bit of Duke's End.
And if it sounds familiar, it's because we heard it on side A uh, when it was called uh, Behind the Lines. Pretty much the exact same thing. So how do you go, how do you pronounce it then, Corey? Is it a reprise or a reprise? Reprise say, is how is how I we say it in North America. We say we say reprise. I think so. Is it reprise North American then? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's different uh, across the pond, uh, and I, I could very well be wrong. I'm a redneck from Saskatchewan, but reprise <laughs> is always kind of how I pronounced it. But yeah, so I'm sure somebody out there is gonna you know tweet at us and let you know let me know I'm full of shit. So, <laughs> I mean. Again, there's too many stop points in this song. Even in what is it, two minutes and a second? What's the time of this thing? It's, two minutes uh, eight. Two eight, yeah. But bloody hell, they pack some stuff into this, mm -hmm. you know. But let's go to if we go to four. Well, actually, thirty-one seconds. There's a couple of things. That I'll, well, I'll, just, I'll pick two or three. I'll do three things. There's three things I want to talk about. So okay. if we go to thirty-one. This is a great mic solo. And again, it should have been this high on Duke's Travels. This is where that solo on Duke's Travels, I think if it had been mixed this high, would have even elevated that song even just that little bit higher. Okay. Sounds good, man. Mm -hmm. Let's get Mike Rutherford front and center more often because the boy can play. I could use a little more even in the mix. I was moving my imaginary fader again, just up a little bit. Come on, bring that track up a little bit more. But no, that's great stuff. And then Phil uh, comes in with the big, big drums at the end of that, right? That, that was great, great good stuff. I mean, if you could play that drum part, how much fun would that be to play, hey? Oh, I know. Like, it, holy it, Jesus. Th these are fun songs to try and play, but I, I can't come close. Here. Honestly, it's songs like this, like Behind the Lines and some of the other stuff, you just like Eleven Till of Mar and that kind of stuff. So I, I don't, I'm not even going to try and sit down and play those because I could get the kick and the snare maybe, but then the stuff that he's doing on the hats and on the cymbals, and it's like, ah, fuck, I, I'm, I'm done after eight bars. I've, I've just lost it again. I don't know where he's going <laughs> with this stuff. Yeah. Give me Billy, don't lose my number. I'll play that one on the drums. There we go. <laughs> All right, your next timestamp. I mean, just play for me because, again, so if you listen – on under headphones, folks, you've got two different guitar parts on the left and right channel. And again, you'll hear a very familiar little riff here. That it's quite a sneaky because you don't hear it at first because it's played at half speed. It's played at half time. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking too, uh we, we had a lyric refrain. We we talked about the a callback to We Can't Dance. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a lyric from uh, No Son of Mine uh that was repeated in uh Please Don't Ask, I think it was. And I didn't call it out then. And I probably should have, because I would have remembered it. Time's a healer? Yeah. The, the yeah, time, okay. time being a healer. They say that time is a healer uh, in No Son of Mine as well. Yeah, that's right. Bloody right. Collins fucking cannibalizing his own work. Bellend. <laughs> Lazy bastard. <laughs> well, he's got almost 20 years in between. I, I, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll give him a pass. Probably just forgot. <laughs> yeah, probably. I love that Phil just stays out of the way, and goes that 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 that, and that, yeah. that's all he adds. Yeah, that's perfect. But it's also it's turn it on again. Yeah, like it's so clever to play that at halftime because you don't like again you don't notice that at first. It's like hang on a minute, sounds a bit familiar. Where have I heard that before? It's like you bastards, and then he actually does that thirteen eight stop as all that turn around the first time through. It's like you sneaky little bastards, you know. <laughs> all right, did you have another time? 
if we play 141 and just let it play out from there, because there's a great little, the refrain to this, the way that they end this, this song is the only way that they could possibly end this album. So you, you're a, do you read, are you, are you a reader? Stephen King, you know, have you yeah. ever read the Dark oh, yeah. Tower? Yeah. So yeah. the Dark Tower series, remember when that came out in book seven, it was like, oh, it's fucking bullshit and blah, blah, blah. That's, I mean, it's literally the only end you can write for that book because car is a wheel and everything's circular. And of course he's yeah. going to come back and do it all again. Yeah. And so this is the same thing. It's like, yeah, that's the, literally the only thing they could do at the end of this record. And it's brilliant. And you know what? Weekend Dance comes back around to this one, right? Time is a healer and uh, the uh, <laughs> the fading lights refrain. There you go. <laughs> Great go. So it, so it throws right back again to behind the lines. To finish out, you get that same refrain, and then the big sort of rock sort of fade out, just like the 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 decay of the symbols ride out. Man, again, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant production. Yep, uh, I gave it the exact same scores I gave uh, behind the lines. So it's pretty much the exact same thing, right? Uh, eight for music, uh, not available for lyrics because there aren't any, and four for production. Pretty good little coda to end the album, I thought. Yeah. 10 and 5 for me again, because I always think you know, Duke's Travels and Duke's End are the same thing to me. I don't, I just can't imagine why anyone would listen to one without the other, which is just a bit bizarre, right? Um, so it's 10 and 5, because I think I was 10 and 5 on Travels as well, was I not? I was, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah no, cool. Kind of weird you do a 8 minute, 40 second Duke's Travels, and then the, this little two minute coda at the end of it. You know, why, why split them? Yeah. I'm curious about that. I don't know about that. Yeah. I, I wonder. Because maybe it's only because. It was, re- it is really just a, a blend of behind the lines and turn it on again. So maybe they just thought, well, we'll call it something different. So it's not, it doesn't look like a 10 minute. I don't know. It, I don't know. I'd love to ask though. It'd be really interesting to find out why they made that decision. But I'm, like I said, I'm so, I'm so thrilled that we've got a Genesis song that's actually mainly an instrumental that's eight minutes, 40 seconds that you love. Yeah. I just think that's so cool. I'm, I'm so, I'm so happy about that. Thought it was great, and I can't put my finger on. Maybe I'm just getting cultured. Uh, we're what four <laughs> albums in now. Uh, I'm not sure what the turn was. Uh, I, I was a lot happier listening to Side B than I was Side A, and I didn't mind Side A at all. My uh, scores on Side A, I think I was seventeen and a half out of twenty-five, which okay. is a solid seventy percent. Uh, side B uh, was even better. Uh, my average is eight and a half, seven and a half, and four and a half. Uh, you know, which gives me uh, uh, a grand total. Uh, for the album 38 out of 50 or 76 percent this is my highest uh rated genesis album yet badly man yeah i mean so my overalls were eight for music seven for lyrics and four for production which if my math is correct is a 19 which i think might be my i don't know that no, i can't be my highest surely i think side one a trick must be higher than i must have rated trick side one a trick all right i don't have to look back but yeah so i mean the album overall um 14.5 for music, 14 for lyrics, uh, 7.5 for production. So 36, I ended up with my overall with the, with the album. So I think that's a 72%. Nice. Or 15, sorry, for music. I still got that wrong. 15 for, me. 15 for music. I apologize. So 36.5 overall. So just one thing I wanted to talk about quickly, Corey, about this one is Duke's a weird album because we've gone back and we've listened to – because what we're doing here is we're really listening to each song – on its own 
right? And with prog albums and with suites and those kinds of things, sometimes that, you know, th this is a transition piece. It's like guide vocals. It's a transition piece. It's not a standalone song. So it's difficult to really, well, how do I gauge this then? Do I gauge it as a song against Turn It On Again? Well, then it's a it's a three where Turn It On Again is a nine or it's a, you know what I mean? Um, so Duke to me, like, I think what I came up with, yeah, 72%. So let's say a seven out of 10. Well, for me, Duke's an 8.5. As an album, as a piece, as a whole piece, it's an 8.5. And it's funny because that's something that you and I grew up in a, a generation where you listen to albums and artists actually made albums. This is an album, not a set of songs. You know, misunderstanding. There's a few songs in there, but I, I just, I struggle with that a little bit with this one more than any other ones we've done so far that it's like, oh, you know, I know that, and I've tried to be conscious not to sort of bump songs up to get myself to where I think the album is as a whole. Mm -hmm. But the album for me, I love this album. I think it's a phenomenal album. And I think it could have been even better if it was sequenced differently. No, I agree. Uh, and that gets us 74.5% uh, on Duke, which is our highest rated. Uh, so is it far. really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, what was I Trick? Was... What did we do Trick? That was over 70, was it not? I think it was. I'm just looking back. And then there were three was uh, 65 and a half. Yeah. Uh, Wind and Withering was 67, and uh, Trick was 70. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if I were to title the last two episodes, Corey, I'd call them Phil Found His Voice, or maybe yep. Tony Stayed in His Fucking Lane. Both, yes. And Phil found yeah. some balls, too, because uh, he sings with some power uh, on yeah. some of these tracks, and it, it's good to hear finally. So I wanted to suggest to you, and I was talking to you about this offline, I want to suggest you an alternate track listing for Duke. And this is what I came up with. So I really, I you know, and please create a playlist of the suite because I think when you listen to the suite in sequence, it's like, fuck, that makes so much sense. And that's why they played it live that way. It really does work. So I went, you know, behind the lines, Duchess, guide vocal, turn it on again, and then Duke travels and Duke's end. That's side A. Because I think that's, that's your strongest material. Let's put it on side A. Side B, open with misunderstanding because it's a it's a pop song. It's accessible. It'll open the side really, really well. Please don't ask. Man of our times, just so we've not got too many sort of lower tempo songs. Alone tonight, cul-de-sac to get a bit more sort of movement in it. Then finish with Heat Days. Because Heat Days finishes side one really well. I think it would finish side two really well too. So that's the way I'd lay this out. What do you think? Is, is that a, a much weaker side two as opposed to side one? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. But I don't I don't know that you need to balance those things because I think the increase in strength of side A makes up for any lack of, you know, consistency or quality on side B because side A becomes so strong. I don't know. You know what I should do is I'll, I'll dear listeners, at the start of next episode, I will look back at what my scores were for each of these songs and I'll tell you what my rating would have been for side A and side B because I bet you side A would have been a 20... Two, twenty, two and a half, twenty-three, maybe. Yeah, because it no, becomes I... so strong, right? Now, is this uh, the turn it on again that we currently have, or because it was meant to, as part of the suite? It was supposed to be much, much shorter. It was just a little connecting piece. And so we we talked about this in in this episode, right? I I think had they actually sat down and, and ex followed through on that, because I think they sort of got a bit gun shy about, oh man, we don't want to do another twenty-seven minute epic suite because we did suppers ready. We're not really. We don't want to. We don't want to look like we're going backwards. We're, we're new Genesis now. We're moving into, you know, poppier realms and all this kind of stuff. So I, I think they balked at that. I think had they executed and followed through on that, you can still do to turn it on again. But maybe the lyric changes, or which I fucking I love the lyric as it is, mm. and maybe you can build it into the narrative, you know, because you've got you know it's like the Wall by Pink Floyd. It's not completely sequential narratively, 
It's not at all. Yeah, this flashbacks. We talked about that. Like behind the lines is about something totally different than Duchess. Uh, Lyrically, nothing fits at all. So lyrically, I think it's fine. Musically, when you have that big, long piece of music, you know, almost four minutes to turn it on again. How does that transition between guide vocal and Duke's travels is kind of the question. I want to listen to all these uh, in a row now and kind of see how that works. Listen to it. Yeah. One, honestly, as soon as you listen, you'll be like, oh, yeah, fuck, that makes total sense. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because yeah, on, so on paper, on paper, that suite you just pitched, that, that track order would be fucking fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're looking at almost the perfect side A. And, and then side B, yeah. probably because there's so much kind of filler on side B, I imagine my side B score would drop quite a bit because uh, I, I think just what I like – you know, with some of these songs like Please Don't Ask and uh, Cul-de-Sac and all that is just where they fit, you know, mm-hmm. after a song like Turn It On Again or Before Duke's Travels, you take those out of the equation, you, know, you just got like misunderstanding and do whatever and do whatever. And then I, I bet you side two really kind of suffers for that, but right. side A would be unreal. That's a counterpoint to that. Do you think maybe then, because, you know, some of the songs off side A that were almost suffered a little bit for being sort of wedged in between these these brilliant tracks. So we look at, I don't know, um, Man of Our Times or Heat Haze. I think of both, you know, I don't think, I don't know, I can't remember what I rated them. And maybe that is a, a problem of, I'm listening to that after Behind the Lines and Duchess. Yeah. Man of Our Times is a good song. And I think that if you put those on side B, maybe they stand out a bit better. Maybe. And I think maybe misunderstanding sounds better if it's not breaking up the flow of side A. I don't, I don't know. Like it'd be interesting. So what I'm actually, gonna, I'm actually going to sequence this. I'm going to create a playlist for myself, and just because I've listened to side A, like my, the, you know, the Swedes a few times now to make sure that I'm not losing my mind. Mm-hmm. But I want to sequence side B as well, just to see how that flows. Because I, I think it works, man. I think well, it works. Misunderstanding as a, a side B uh, opener is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that that is the perfect song to kick off side B. But I know, like, Man of Our Times, I gave a six, six and a half, and a two. Wasn't the biggest fan of uh, Heat Haze, was a six, four, and a three. So I, I think if you kind of, you know, put one of those after a misunderstanding, go into something maybe a little stronger, like uh, Alone Tonight or Cul de Sac. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and just try and kind of ride that wave a little bit. Yeah. Well, let's play, let's play with it, Corey. Well, let's, let's yeah. resequence it and we'll pitch it to, uh, I don't know, fucking RCA or MC. Who are they with these days? <laughs> Warner. I don't even know. Warner. Probably with Warner. Yeah. But yeah, I'm sure they'll take your call. Of course they will. Don't they know? Don't they know who we are? You're now the Pope of the Church of Go Fuck Yourself. I heard today. So <laughs> yes, but we're also part of the, the CMPU. Like they can't ignore us forever. That's right. The CMPU is slowly taking over, as uh, Mark Kamire likes to say, over and over again. And he is correct. <laughs> uh, I like this album a lot. I think it's what I'm going to pick yeah. up on vinyl. It was a lot of fun, and now that leads us into Abacab. What the fuck is that about? Okay, well, there's a question for you then before we even get into that one, Corey. What is Abacab about? What does that name mean? Do you know? No fucking clue. Okay, so I was talking to you about Turn It On Again. It has an A-C-A-C-B structure. So, oh, okay. so in music, it's versus A, uh, chorus is B, bridge is C. Yeah. Abacab is verse, chorus, verse, bridge, verse, chorus. Chorus. Gotcha. So that was the structure, the way that Tony Banks had initially written it, that was the structure of it. And so what they used to do was they'd write the structure they just kind of on the whiteboard. So it was like, you can just have a quick glance over where we're going. Oh, yeah, we're going to start a bit now. Because it's just a really loose framework reference kind of thing. And it's like, actually, that's kind of a neat word. Now, the song doesn't end up being that structure, but they just kept the work. It's like, I don't know, fucking cool. Let's go with it. That was going to be my question. Does Abacab actually follow that structure? No? No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I like it even more now. That's great. (laughs) 
should say too quickly that I I love the artwork for Duke as well. Oh yes, yeah, no good call. Yeah, the, the cover art and Genesis has been known to have pretty good cover art. Uh, and then there were three yeah. uh, kind of notwithstanding. Uh, I was kind of split on that one, but yeah, uh, Duke is great in that image. Uh, you know, kind of carried over into the uh, reunion tours. They always had a little animation uh, with, with that little yeah. uh, chubby dude in the green suit. But I can't remember the name of the artist who who drew it because Phil Collins had been sort of well, famously because everyone thought that, that well, that's Duke then, right? So that the character on the front is Duke, but Phil Collins said it isn't, and it isn't actually anything to do with the album. So it's this sort of weird thing. We're just like Phil, come on, mate, just build the lore. <laughs> Just why go you, with it. You, Come on. Exactly, just go with it. Dude, really? So, I know, but I just, I've just always liked it. I think it's just visually very, very appealing. It you is know, very the man, simple. The man's, the man's staring at the banana in the swimming pool, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought he was looking out of a window uh, yeah. at the moon in the sky. I had that way wrong. <laughs> okay, folks. You know what? We've kept you long enough. Um, so, thanks for listening. Join us again next week because we are looking at side one of 1981's Abacab, and it's... Dude, I know you don't know a lot of the songs of this album. I think you're going to be, you're going to enjoy this one, I think. I think you're going to enjoy talking about this one. Let's say that. Um, come check us out on social media. We are at Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and at You Catalog Clash on Twitter because there's not enough characters. Uh, I think I might set up threads, Corey. I don't know. Should we set up threads? I don't know what threads is yet. Yeah, I, I think I have an account on there. I don't, I've never been on it, but <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? You're doing all the social, so you go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you can check out my other shows, uh, The Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I am my personal account is at Kev Brown Canada. Corey, where can our fine friends find you and what on earth do you have coming up? Oh, I, I do a few different shows. I do in the podcast while rock, talking all things Van Halen with my good friend Mark Kamire. You can find us at www.podcastwellrock.com. I also do an Aerosmith show uh, with Scott Haskin called Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited and a show called Backtracks Theme Music with my friend John Mariano, where we're talking all things music and movies. Uh, if you want to yell at me online, uh, at CD Morset uh, on Twitter, but please don't. I'm, I'm not in the mood to people. Just, just leave me be. If you think I'm wrong, just <laughs> say it quietly in your head and just move on with your life. And I will do what Mark Kamara always does and say, if you want to come at anyone, come at me. You leave my friend Corey alone. <laughs> and I just noticed that one last thing, Corey, I just noticed that I did not change my input. So my audio is going to sound like dog shit because I'm going through my fucking Logitech webcam instead of my microphone that I've been studiously speaking into. You know what? I've been listening through the headphones and it sounds all right. It, it's not bad. I've had worse, that's for sure. It's going to annoy the shit out of me. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, I'll put, I'll put a really bad vocal effect on it. It's really pissed you off, so... You'll have something okay. else to yell at. No, redo. Let's go Let's go back to the beginning. We're uh, starting. <laughs> I don't know if I got one in me. I watched soccer tonight. I'm so tired now. Okay, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll be with you next week. <laughs>